0: Thanks for tuning in to listen to the Drosh for this week's Parsha reading. Stay tuned after the Drosh for details on how to stay in touch with this ministry and keep up with all of our content. I hope you enjoy the message. Amen. Shabbat shalom. Shabbat shalom. Go. second part of sort of the progressive covenant of Elohim that he makes with Abram. What I mean is in chapter 12 and in chapter 15 and in chapter 17 you see Elohim striking a covenant with Abram. Um, I personally believe that this this is sort of the second and third are sort of addendums to the first. They're not entirely separate from one another. Um, But I I think that the purpose of doing them that way is because Elohim knew, God knew, exactly what Avram would do. And how his life would go. And so he instituted the covenants with him one at a time. He first spoke to him while he was up in the north, having moved from Ur to Haran. After one of his brothers died. If you remember the map that I put up last week. Ur is right there in the south. I think I actually went up and pointed to it. So Avram. Did not leave from there. Even though he is called a a Chaldean. A Chaldean. A Babylonian if you will. He didn't leave from there to go to the promised land. His father. Packed up himself and his three sons. And moved up north to Haran. And if you remember. That's where Laban. Isaac's cousin was living when God, when Abraham sent his servant to find Isaac a wife. He sent him to Haran. That's where Terah, Avram's father, had moved to. And so you find out that Avram moved when he was 75 years old. That's when he was commanded by Elohim to leave his father's house and go to a land that he would show him. And that land from there was slightly south and west. Everybody knows that's Israel, but so, so uh, at the time Avram was living in what we know as Iraq, sort of the northwestern or southeastern part of Iraq, Syria, depending on which map you looked at, what time, the, you know, when in history that map was drawn. I think he moved to Haran after one of his brothers died, whose name was Haran, not not the same name as the town. Haran is his brother, Haran is the place. Incidentally, it looks to me like Avraham was also a triplet. Him and his two brothers were possibly triplets because, it reads this, And Terah lived 70 years and begot Avraham the fort and Haran. So it looks like to me that he begot all three sons in his 70th year, just like Noah begat all three of his sons in one year. I'm just saying. One of those brothers dies, and Lot, the son of that brother Haran, effectively was raised by Avram. Um, So he's a nephew, but he probably treats him like his own son. Terah was on his way to Canaan. Read the text. That's what it actually says. But he, for some reason, he gave up. He quit. He stopped. He found Haran. He liked it. There's probably a lot of money there, wasn't that Laban's issue? Uh, yeah. Money was Laban's issue, and so it's possible. We don't know it. I, I, I'm only speculating. What if Elohim wanted Terah to be the father of all the nations, and he just quit? So he called his son because Terah left Ur and was on his way to Canaan. Read the text, that's what it says. Um, it is from there, Haram, where God calls to Avram and says, For yourself go, Lechmetha. And at that point, Avram embarked on a journey of faith. God told him, Leave all that you know, and I will make you a great nation, a great name. I don't think that's a coincidence that God said that to him when, in just a couple of previous chapters before, a few years before this happens, all of mankind was trying to make a name for themselves. And here God says, I'm going to make a name for you. And I think one of the points of that is probably let me deal and worry about your reputation. Don't go out and try to be somebody. Do what I tell you to do and be happy with that. Right? But he also says, You will be a blessing. And that's the way it reads in English. And that's not entirely wrong. But that you will be is actually veheye. It is the verb to be in the imperative. In other words, God is saying, Be a blessing, it's a command. You, be a blessing. You can check it, get your grammatical tools, your dictionaries out, and look, and I promise you that is in the imperative. Everybody knows what imperative tense is, right? Thou shalt. Okay? Ve ye berachah. Go be a blessing. And then God says, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. And the phenomenon around that verse is that believers like to quote it all the time, but they always emphasize that curse, curse part of it. I'll curse those that curse you. God says I'll curse those. I've heard that a thousand times out of believers' mouths. It's like they get all, boy, they get all excited about that part of it. That's <laughs> terrible. It's the truth. And then by, on the flip side of it, there are believers who get all excited when they meet a Jew. They want to go bless him. So they can what? get their blessings. It's all about me. It's not about blessing the Jewish people. It's about getting the blessing. I literally had a woman, I I was wearing my kippah on the bus. I rode a bus for nine years down, well, not quite, because I rode a motorcycle most, most of the time. But I rode a bus for quite some time downtown when I was getting my master's degree. And sitting there with my kippah on and a woman sat down behind me. I'd never seen her before. She got on the bus and she sat down behind me and she, I, she couldn't stand it you know and she leaned up between the seats and said I just wanted to say uh, God bless you you know and I did, I felt it right away that she just, she's getting her blessing she didn't mean that for me she wants her blessing are you getting what I'm driving at? God told Avram go be a blessing there was nothing in that about I'm going to bless you go be a blessing Abraham had to trust the blessing of God would be upon him because he was living a right life and doing what God told him to do. Are you with me? Yes. Today the focus is on me and, and, and it's so much on me that they turn, around, they turn that cursing those who curse you around and they, they speak it over people as if it's a power that they have. Has anybody else ever heard that? Shelley, a Jewish person, has heard it. Okay. Avram did not think that way. His blessing was not framed in that kind of thought. His name means exalted progenitor, exalted father. That's what a father is. Someone who brings forth... Fruit, heirs, life, right? Exalted father, Avram. That's what Avram means. And God spoke those few words saying, Go be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. He spoke those words. And Avram leaves his father's house. A lot of people think that Terach had died. No, he went, he went and lived another hundred and some odd years. The man died at 240 years old, and Abraham left him when, when Terah was about 145, I think. So Terach lived probably another hundred years. The point being is that Avram was leaving everything he knew that was familiar. God told him, Leave your country, leave your father's house, leave your people. And in that sense, leave your language behind because they spoke a slightly different language in Canaan, If you knew that, leave Aramaic behind and go learn Hebrew, basically. So Avram leaves with the promise of progeny in his bosom and he lives for 11 years without Sarah bearing a child. And then his wife, after 11 years, says, well, maybe God's going to do it this way. Let's solve the problem ourselves. Go in unto my handmaid. And a lot of people don't realize this. They think this is a justification for perversion and and for a man to take another wife. It was not. It was sin. Abraham, the father of our faith, sinned and committed adultery. And it was provoked in him by his own wife. This was a wrong She takes a supernatural promise that God had told Abraham, I'm going to make you a, a, the father of many. You know, I'm going to make your name great, and I'm going to give you progeny. And she takes that supernatural promise and says, well, God had not done it yet. I got an idea. It must have come from God. <laughs> yeah, it, it crawled into my little brain, that I have a woman over here that can bear a son. I'm her boss. You know, she can bear a son for me and be my son. We gloss over that and don't realize how wrong that was on so many levels. It was wrong. People think that today, that since God hasn't done it by the way, we thought he said he would do it, but we have this other idea. Well, it must be blessed of God. It's my idea. I'm, I'm holy. I'm righteous. It must be God's idea. Are you with me? That's what humanity is prone to do over and over and over again. So basically with Sarai and Abraham, we have a repeat of Adam and Chabot where the woman comes up with this bad idea and the man is standing there and he knows better and he doesn't do anything about it. As a matter of fact he jumps in with both feet. It's gone and in all over again. And as a result of that sin, we still, we still, all of us as human beings, still deal with Abram's one big mistake called Ishmael. God had a purpose for it. God actually blesses Hagar and tells her that she's, he's going to take care of her son and make a nation out of him. Nations are going to come from him, just like Abraham. It's, it's, catch this. It's sort of a counter-Messiah. That's what you're seeing in the picture of Ishmael and Yitzhak. You see a picture of Messiah in Isaac. You see a picture of Mashiach HaShekher in Ishmael. Someone who wants to overthrow the rightful heirs. Alright? We see only bad in Ishmael. And people today think that every son of Ishmael, there are people that are so self-righteous, they think that every person who is born Arabic Is going to go to hell and there's nothing that they they can do about it and that they're not they're not savable and that's a big fat lie and there are people in the believing community that hate Arabs just because they're arabic and they don't realize there's a difference between arabic and muslim there is a difference muslim is a person who follows muhammad but God offered the gospel to the whole world. He died not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. He died for every Muslim that was ever born. Just because they don't accept him, don't make that, that there beyond salvation. If you, if you really want to... And most of the people who think that way are of European stock, And compare the two. Muslims are far less idolatrous than ancient pagans in Europe were. <laughs> Study the pagan religions of Germany and France and England and Ireland and Scotland and Norway and all of Denmark, Holland, all, of, all of those places and look at the gods that they worship and how they live their lives and Muslims lived cleaner than they did and that's our heritage. People forget, you know, Americans and Western people of European stock forget where they came from. And that's why, perhaps this week, the, whole, the theme that I've had on my mind all week long is check yourself. Check yourself. None of us, not one of us, is a son of Abraham. If it is if we are not a son of Abraham through Emunah. Yeah. Not one of us. Our Jewishness doesn't save us. Our wearing TTO does not save us. Our putting on a keepah doesn't save us. Our being here on Sabbath doesn't save us. None of us is a son of Abraham except through Emunah in Yeshua, the Son of God, and the blood that he shed on our behalf. Amen. Period concept of being the chosen ones unfortunately it's difficult to understand what being chosen means and it engenders pride and that's why you see factions in the messianic community of black israelites who think that they are the true jews and of white Danites, people from denmark and people from great britain and people from ireland who think they are the true jews and they have no basis whatsoever to, to found those things on. And then you have our, our, our Jewish people who think there's a lot of them, not all, but a lot of them who think that Gentiles just can't be saved. That's the, that's the Shemai doctrine that, that was the problem in the book of Galatians. And, and all of that, all of those doctrines are based on human pride. They feed on human pride. I don't know if you know this, but the, the Mormon doctrine is probably the best at it because they teach that the native americans are the ten lost tribes that's their that's their lost tribe theory is that they came over here to north america I wrote a whole book about it joseph smith did claimed god gave him the tablets to, to translate from heaven that the native americans are the ten northern tribes and i know because i i made a deal i might be going too far into this but i, I was working out in in the gym up in Jasper and there was a little Mormon boy in there all the time and he always heard me talking to Richard about faith and talking to these foreign exchange students about faith and it just intrigued him and he said he wanted me to go to his church and I I knew he was Mormon, I said that ain't gonna happen and he bugged me and bugged me and bugged me and wanted me to go and and he, he said I'll make a deal with you, I'll go to yours if you come sit and talk to my dad I said okay I knew he wasn't gonna keep the deal But I kept my end of the deal. I went and talked to his dad and that man, who was one of the 70 elders from the Beaumont region, sat me down and told me, you probably have Indian in you, don't you? I said, yeah, I'm Choctaw. He said, well, you're one of the chosen. And he tried to play to that pride and say, they're all, this is what he told me, all the Native Americans are wealthy because God is blessing them because of their Jewish, their, their Israeli inheritance, you know, their heritage. And I'm like, I went to high school with the Indians. They're dirt poor, and and if they do have money, they're drunk. A lot of them. They're not. They have utterly been all but wiped out. You know. And they. I, I drove through New Mexico just two months before. i You know, a few months before I'm having this conversation. I just drove through New Mexico and saw abject poverty among the Navajo Indians who live there still. Anybody else see it? It's sad. And this man lied to me because he didn't think I, I, I guess he didn't realize I had a brain. You know, do you get what I'm trying But what he was trying to do is really end through human fleshly pride and get me to think that I was chosen because of my flesh. And that's how they win a lot of people. I'm special. They think that that's what chosen means. And then Avraham was 90, Abraham was 99 years old, a full 24 years after God told him to leave Haran, that he would make a great nation out of him, and he reaffirms the covenant with him that he had already made. He comes to him in Genesis chapter 12, and calls him out, lecha at the end of our portion where we are, and he comes to him at 99 years old. He was 75 when he called him out, and he's 99 years old now, and he reaffirms the covenant, and he and and you see that both times that the covenant invokes great change. A covenant with God changes a person. It changes his whole life. It changes the way he speaks. And I'm, I'm yes, I'm taking the practical of what happened to Abraham and, and relating it allegorically, I hate to use that word, to the way that things go for us in our lives. But if someone comes to, into a true covenant with God, they are transformed, they are changed, their life is turned over, they are a different person. People who just go to an altar and say the Jesus prayer and then turn around and live the exact same way and nothing changes... They're not in covenant with God They don't understand the power of his blood They don't understand What sedaka righteousness really is There's a lot of confusion I believe in the religious world About what righteousness is The first time he was instructed To leave his country, his kindred And his father's house, that was huge We don't think anything of it but he was leaving his whole world behind and going to a dangerous place, Canaan had a reputation it was a land bridge and there were marauders there
1: robbing people at every chance
0: they could and people were having to hide in those 13 cities to keep from being attacked, that's why there were the fortified cities in that land it was a huge move this time in chapter 17 he's changing his very name He's 99 years old, and that's, now he has to start calling himself Abraham. At 99 years old, Boots can barely remember his name. He's almost 99 years old in dog ears. Yeah. <laughs> God is changing his name because he's renewing him again. Abraham just committed a great sin just committed adultery with his wife's hand and brought forth fruit that would be trouble to him. He brought at least a nuisance into the world and at the worst the beast. Let's back up a little bit. Thirteen years after, so we're talking 24 years after. Let's back up to 13 years after he was called out of Haram. God says to him, Ani El Shaddai. And that basically says, I am El Shaddai. I am God Almighty. Walk before me, wholehearted. But you again miss it in the English. Ani el Shaddai, lefanai, Walk before me and be tamim. It's again in the imperative. It's the verb to be in the imperative. It's not you will be pure. It is be pure, be wholehearted. Be complete. Walk in my presence completely is one way that you could look at that. Hitalek is the same word. He's commanded again to exist in a certain state. Be a blessing, be wholehearted. Aram had already responded to Yahweh and believed and trusted in his promise. He left all he knew. And at that point in chapter 15, he's telling them, be wholehearted. And lo and behold, he wasn't wholehearted. He didn't completely believe that the promise would come the way God said it would. Either that, or he was just tempted out of it by Hagar. She might have been a beautiful woman. That went on. After, it was 11 years after that that he faltered. slept with Hagar. And then God comes to him and says, Be pure, be whole. And it was said of Noach, Noach, Ish Sadik, Tamim, Hayah, biderotav. He was a a righteous, a holy, totally righteous person. That's basically what that means. It's that same word God told Avram to be total, be complete. And that's happening back to Noah. He was totally righteous, completely and utterly righteous is one way that you can look at those two words. That's the same exact phrasing. Noah conducted himself rightly. It's so easy for us not to do that. The onus was on Noach to be righteous. The onus was on Avram to walk wholeheartedly. Right? If God told him to do it, was he supposed to do it? (laughs) Conduct yourself wholly, soundly, purely before my face. That's a more literal way to read that what well, God told Avram, And again, I'm, what I'm meditating on, ruminating on, is check yourself. In order for you to do that, you have to watch your own feet. You have to watch how you walk. Hit ha ver- The command was leth, leth ha. And then two times after that, when the covenant is reiterated, it's hit ha hit ha that is in one of the, I think it's he feel, I still forget some of the meaning, but that, that is one that puts the onus on Abraham. The command, he puts the onus on the person to whom you are speaking. God is putting the onus on Avram to walk circumspectly, walk uprightly. It's on him to do it. Even though tzedakah, righteousness, Was a gift given to him. It was his job to maintain it. It was his job to reflect what God had done for him in heaven. Because Sedakah is given before the throne in heaven, it sets you right before God's throne in a legal way. And then you have to act like it. It's It's like if we hired a lawyer to be the ambassador for the United States to Israel and he went over there and played a fool. Are you with me? He's got complete carte blanche authority to represent the United States over there, and he goes against the headquarters. He goes against the leadership back home. That's what it is when we don't walk in righteousness. We receive righteousness just like the government gives a diplomat authority. But it's on the onus, the onus is on us to walk in that. Hopefully, you guys are seeing this. And there's a, there's a myriad of scriptures that, that convey this concept. I'm just going to read a few of them. According to Bet, 2 Corinthians 13, 5, Examine yourselves whether you are in the same emunah. Heal your souls. Again, the imperative, the onus is on you. Heal your souls. People sit there and beg Yeshua to heal them. And look what Shovel is saying. You do it. Why? Because God has given us the power of it in the blood of Yeshua and in the concept of the resurrection and in ruminating in the fact that he is on our side. He wouldn't have done that if he was our enemy. Are you with me? Do you not realize that Yeshua HaMashiach is in you? That's how you heal yourself. If this is not so, then you're rejected. But I trust that you shall know that we are not rejected. Shoal is speaking to believers trying to get them to realize the very power of life itself is inside of you if you believe. All that past junk. Abraham could have sat there and, and, and lamented his sin with Hagar for years. And it could have destroyed him. He never would have entered into covenant with him and circumcised his own flesh. Had, it, had he done that? Right? Yaakov, James 1, verse 22. But be doers of Hadabar and not hearers only, receiving your own selves. For if any is a hearer of Hadabar, a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who sees his face in a mirror, for he sees himself and goes his way and forgets how he looked. But whoever looks into the Torah of complete liberty and abides in it, is not merely a hearer of it, which can be forgotten, but a doer of the work. And this man shall be blessed in his labor. If any man thinks that he ministers to Elohim and does not control his tongue, he deceives his own heart. And this man's ministry is in vain. For a pure, pure tamim. That may not be the word there, but it's the same concept. Tamim also means pure. And consecrated ministry before Elohim of is this. To visit the fathers and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. In other words, if you're compassionate to people, other people, go be a blessing. Isn't that what you're doing if you're doing that? Go be a blessing and stay unspotted from the world. Walk before me completely. Yaakov is basically saying the exact same thing. Galatians 6. For if a man thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Yaakov had said the same thing. Don't deceive yourself. After saying, examine yourself. Shul basically said the same thing. Examine yourselves. We constantly have to check ourselves. People do not do this, I promise you. Most people do not do this. They're always checking everybody else and whether or not they're righteous. It's one of the reasons we're sitting right here. He deceives himself. Don't deceive yourself, but let every man examine his own work. And then may he glory within himself, alone and not among others. For every man shall bear his own burden. Let him who hears Hamadar share his bounty with the one who teaches him. Do not be deceived. Elohim is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. He who sows things of the flesh from the flesh shall reap corruption. He who sows things of harulach from harulach shall reap chaye eternal life. And the problem when people read that verse is when they see the word flesh, all they think about is sexual sin. They don't think about the fact that that rabbinic thought is a fleshly provocation. Two-house thought Is a fleshly provocation. I talked about it just moments ago. It engenders pride. People walk after the flesh when they follow rabbinic doctrine and not Yeshua. They walk after the flesh when they go around saying that they're saved because they are a Danite or a black Israelite. That's a flesh. Probably. They don't see that when they read that passage. Romans 12, 3. I beseech you, I'm going to start at one. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of Elohim that you present your body as a living sacrifice. You present your body as a living sacrifice. It's all your, your nefesh your neshama your internal being, has already been justified, made righteous before God in heaven, but you still got to live in this dirt. You still got to walk through all the junk that the world has. Present your body as a sacrifice, consecrated and acceptable to Elohim by means of reasonable service. Do not imitate the way of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And that's what Abraham needed when he became Abraham. He needed to be reminded that God, and what did God remind him of when he changed his name? I'm going to make, the, there, is a, there is a person in your loins and I'm going to make him your heir. Didn't he? He changed his name and said, now believe this, punk. I'm going to do it. Transform by the renewing of your mind. Be a blessing. Be wholehearted. That you may discern what is that good and acceptable And perfect will of Elohim Abraham had not done that It was not the perfect will of God That Ishmael be born God's using it for his own purposes He knew it would happen But that wasn't the perfect will of God The perfect will of God is that we live in God And we never go through this junk He knew we would he set up things along the way to fix the problem, and it's the same for us. The perfect will of God for us is never to do the stupid things we do. We're the ones who do them, but we can walk in the perfect will of Elohim if we choose to. Our choosers are bad. That's the problem. For I say to you all through the compassion which is given to me not to think of yourselves beyond what you ought to think, but to think soberly. Every man according to the measure of absolute trust which Elohim has distributed to him. There are so many believers who think more of themselves than they ought to. Now, the First thing that comes to mind was the audacity of these young men that came to a Torah city at my house almost 30 years ago, probably more like 27 years ago. I didn't know they were from the church where she and I met. We didn't meet; that church wasn't mine nor hers before we met. It was just the place where we met, and that's where they came from. And they heard of our tourist study, and they heard about one of the guys who was who was similar to Abraham. He couldn't have children, and God did a, a miracle. And I, I'm not going to share it here because it's a long story. But he did a miracle, and and that on the week before these guys showed up, they heard about it. Actually, it would have been more like a month because it had to come to pass. Because I, I basically prophesied. I didn't realize that's what I was doing, but I told, I looked in this guy's eyes and said, you're going to have a daughter. You're going to have the daughter that you asked for. Soon. Remember? She, she could tell you. And his wife conceived. And these guys show up at our study, and they're trying to think more highly of themselves than they ought to, and they basically told us that that a truck, they were on their way somewhere, they were in a curb, and a semi-truck went through them. And God <laughs> just just made them transparent and turned them into ghosts, basically, for a half a second, and that truck went through them. And expect me to believe that. And it, had you looked them in the eye and you didn't have any sense in your head, you didn't believe them. But if you had some sense in your head, you knew they were just <laughs> exaggerating Yeah, maybe God spared you from a wreck, but I'm pretty sure that truck didn't go through you. You break the laws of of physics, you're going to kill yourself. Am I saying that God couldn't have done it? Nope. Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought. There are plenty of people who think that way. Last one, therefore, whoever shall eat of the bread of Yahweh and drink of his cup unworthily shall be guilty of the blood and body of Yahweh. For this reason, let a man examine himself. That's why we send out scriptures before Passover and try to get people to think about that. And think about it, we do Passover every Friday night. Examine yourself. and See whether you're doing it with the right frame of mind. For he who eats and drinks unworthily eats and drinks to his condemnation, for he does not discern the body of Messiah. And what he's talking about, I don't have time to teach that. We'll, we'll probably teach it before Passover again. But as a reminder, what he's talking about is we're supposed to commune in Messiah together as one and not be selfish. Yeah. Okay? And I, I can't teach that whole concept. i am do one more he who says, I know him, and does not keep his meat's vote is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his, bar, his word in him truly is the love of Elohim perfected. Hereby we know that we are in him. He who says, I am in him, ought himself also to walk his halakha, Yeshua's halakha, how he walks. Yeshua walked the same way God told Avram to walk. Walk before me and be pure. Walk before me, be wholehearted, be a blessing. If any man that ever walked the earth was a blessing, it was Yeshua. He was always thinking about the other guy and not himself. Always. But now the Tzedakah of Elohim, separate from the Torah, is manifested. What I'm talking about is... Abraham had to make sure that every aspect of his walk, his halakha, was in the countenance of God. And There's actually a, a scripture, one of the Psalms, that says that you are my countenance. I'll well, have to find it. I read it this week. I just can't remember where I read it. It's in one of the Psalms. Basically, the Psalm is the, the one praying and saying to God, you are my countenance. Your countenance is upon me. And that's what, how we're supposed to walk. What does that mean? The very presence. Lifne. Lifne. Walk before me completely. holy. Lifne means in my face. In a literal sense, that's what it means. So it means in my presence. That's how we're supposed to walk out there in this world is in the presence of Elohim. Be acceptable before him. That's why God is talking about a tzedakah of Elohim that is separate from the Torah. And people struggle with this in the Messianic community. They can't rectify these these scriptures in in the other direction. And I've I've taught this before, and I thought I was going to do it this week about the scales of justice. And I've mentioned this a few times, but there was a time five or six years ago, maybe more than that, where I taught on the concept of righteousness being both sides of the scales. You have to deal with both sides of the scales. On the one side of the scale is chesed, compassion, and on the other side is mishpat, judgment. Tzedakah, righteousness, writes the scales. Both of them have to be rightly applied, compassion and judgment. They have to be rightly applied. problem is, people think it's their job to dink with the, the, the justice side and that's not their job when you go to purchase something in the old days when they used scales to purchase something and they measured your money they literally weighed your money the guy behind the counter put the balance on the other side not the guy with the money are you with me the guy with the money put his own money on that side that's you applying asking for compassion God is the one who puts the weight on the other side of it Are you with me? There is a righteousness separate from the Torah And that doesn't mean that the Torah is gone We know that The last verse we, we read was Do we therefore abolish the Torah Condemn the Torah Abrogate the Torah because of our enunah, Our faith What profanity No we establish the Torah by our faith. In other words, we're saying the Torah is the measurement of righteousness. I don't need it. God fixed that for me, so I'm going to do my best to walk it. That's it. The Torah in the book of Romaine, that was our hot portion, it says that the Torah and the prophets confess the righteousness as it, that righteousness is a gift messianic people forget that then righteousness the ability to stand before God and pray and have him hear you and have him be involved in your life is a gift it's not something you can gain because you're so good it's not something you can gain because your flesh is prettier than someone else's your flesh belongs to this guy I'm a son of a king whoop-de-doo Check history. A lot of king's sons were jerks, bad. bad people. People try to solve things by their own idea of righteousness, just like just like Sarai did. She had her own idea of what the right way of getting the problem solved was, and so she, she interjected herself into it. So in the middle, in chapter 15, God says, after these things, the Dabar Yevah, came unto Avram. That's interesting to me. Because before it's Malach, Yevah, Malach, yevla, and after it's Malach, Yevah, Malach, Yevah, Malach, yevla. but here it's Yeshua, Dabar Yevah. The word of Yahweh came unto Avram in a vision. This is Yeshua standing before Avram, saying, Fear not, Avram. I am your shield. You're very great reward. People ask me all the time about why I wear this. It's the shield of Abram, which David inherited. All right? And Abram said, O oh, Adonai, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and, and he that shall be possessor of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Why? Because Lot had left him. Lot would have been the heir of his house, but Lot left. They separated And Avram said, Behold, to me you have given no seed, and lo, one born in my house is to be my heir. Behold, the devour Yahweh came unto him, saying, This is Yeshua, this man shall not be your heir, but he that shall come forth out of your own bowels shall be your heir. And he brought him forth abroad, and said, Look now toward heaven, and count the stars, if you are able to count it. And he said unto him, So shall your seed be. And he trusted firmly in Yahweh, and he counted it to him for it this is 11 years, or 13, it's, it's, it's 13, I can't remember now. It's a few years after the Genesis 12 event. And now he believes that he's going to provide him an heir. And God credits belief to Avram. lo He trusted in Yahweh and God considered it for him as righteousness. That's salvation right there. That's the Torah, just like Jules said, declaring the righteousness of God, which is a free gift. Later on, Abram had doubted and had strayed, and God had to come to him and say, I am God Almighty. Yeah. Did you think I couldn't do it? Romans goes on and says, For the tzedakah of Elohim is by the emunah of Yeshua HaMashiach. The, the emunah of Yeshua HaMashiach. It's not by our faith. It's by the emunah of Yeshua HaMashiach. The trustworthiness of Yeshua HaMashiach. That's one way that you can read that, and I believe that's actually what it's saying. It doesn't say faith in Yeshua, me trusting in Yeshua. It's the trustworthiness of, the, of Yeshua that faith is given. To everyone, everyone who trusts in him. You see why I say that? Because that phrase, that clause right there would have been redundant. The first one is translated right in other translations. Are you with me? Yeah. For there is no discrimination, for all have sinned and are missing the kibbutz of Elohim. For they are freely, freely given tzedakah by the compassion of Elohim through the redemption, which is in Yeshua HaMashiach, whom Elohim has foreordained to be a propitiation through trust in His blood for the remission of our sins that are past. By the opportunity which Elohim has given us through his forbearance for the manifestation of his, people today, including most messianic people, are focused on theirs and others' righteousness and not God's in the other person, which is a gift. The people of God, especially here in the you need to start looking for the righteousness of God in the other person, which is a gift from heaven. Look for that. And if all they talk about is their own righteousness, I promise you, if all, especially if all they talk about is everyone else's righteousness, that ain't God's. Ah, Freely given tzedakah by the Compassion of Elohim through the redemption Which is in Yeshua HaMashiach Elohim is foreordained to be a Propitiation through trust in His blood For the remission of our sins Our trust is in His blood Not in us, it's in His blood I've been hammering on that For the manifestation Of His tzedakah, His At the present time Not in the future But right now God's righteousness is revealed in us By our trust in the blood of Yeshua That's what saves people Hammering them over the head With the Torah doesn't save them It's never going to save them You thinking that your righteousness Is better than someone else Oh I don't go eat on the Sabbath Because Big deal That he might be declared righteous. That he might be declared righteous for the justification of Tedakah. That's almost redundant. But that's what I'm talking about. Is that righteousness being justified is done upstairs. It's done down inside of us. To him who is in haemunah of Adoninu Yeshua HaMashiach. And I'm circling right back around. Just like Abram was supposed to trust in and walk in the countenance Of Yahweh, which is Yeshua That's what we're supposed to do Trust in Someone who is In the Emunah of Yeshua Yeshua's faith, we're in it We're walking in it, we're walking in his countenance. we're trusting in his Blood and in his righteousness and not ours Alone The faithfulness Of Messiah, Emunah Not only means faith, but faithfulness, the firmness, the steadfastness of Yeshua. Messiah was the one who walked between the pieces. If you don't remember Genesis 15, after he said that, after he said, I have credited to him as righteousness, that's when God put him to sleep. After he told him to divide the animals in half, God put him to sleep, and two things went between the pieces. A smoking fire pop and a lapid, a lamp, a candle, went between the two pieces. And that was a picture of Yeshua. It's a a picture of the promise of resurrection, the power of God, and the resurrection of life. It's, It's light in a dark place, right? And it came to pass that when the sun went down that there was a thick darkness. What did I just say? Behold, the smoking furnace and a flaming torch, that word there is lapi, that passed between these pieces. Tanura shan, the lapig esh. A burning lamp, a burning candle, torch, a light. I believe it's a hint at the resurrection. Everybody here knows. We teach it all the time. Yeshua rose on Saturday night at Havdalah. And the an instrument of Havdalah is a lapidote, a candle. And there's an incident in Acts chapter 20. At the beginning of the week, we assembled to break bread. Pablo declared to them, because he was going to leave the next day, he prolonged his speech until midnight. This is Saturday night. At the beginning of the week Saturday night now there was a great glow of light from the lapidot in the upper chamber I'm not going to read it all because I know you guys are getting tired of it there were lapidot there were many lapidot in the room because it was a habdala service on Saturday night and a young man because just like I'm doing right now droning on and on you better be glad it's not midnight (laughs) So it was droning on and on, and a guy fell asleep, fell out the window, and died. And on a Saturday night, he raised him from the dead. That's not a coincidence. And I believe that that lapid in the in the episode of Avram that may have been a Saturday night when Avram had that vision. Avram had not trusted wholly, totally. So this same covenant was reiterated and sealed with his own blood when God gave him the covenant of circumcision. What am I saying? Chapter 15 happens. He has this wonderful experience where he sees this vision of Yeshua again, the person who had talked to him twice, now manifesting as a smoking firefight. If you don't know, that's the ancients had to carry that around. They didn't have generators and electricity they didn't want to have to restart the fire and every time they had to cook or light lights or so they always kept one like, burning they just kept adding moss and peat and junk like that to it i don't know what all the junk is and, and keep the thing smoking in that way they could they could light anything from it that's a picture of yeshua light in a dark place always God gives him the covenant of circumcision after he has just committed adultery. Is that a coincidence? The instrument of his sin is modified. Don't do that again. I think that's absolutely one of the reasons he gave it to him. He put a reminder in his flesh to be pure. I don't think it's a coincidence that sexual sin is one of the biggest issues that people face for a lot of people. And in this covenant, God changes his name from Avram to Avraham, great father to father of many. Ve'lo et Avraham. So you have two words in his, in his, in his original name, Avram, father, great. In other words, exalted father. And he takes away the ram. Actually, he doesn't. He adds a letter to it and he says, Raham. He reduces, because the idea of Abraham is, I'm a great father. He takes that great stuff away and then says, no, you're a father of many. Which is better. Yeah. It's better to be a father of a multitude of people than to be the, the, just a great father of one term. Right. Ishmael wasn't—that's what he was. Are you with me? He added, "Hey," to his name. Behold, see, rule, of breath. He reduced. Avram status in his own mind and said, You're thinking too small, boy. All you wanted was one son. I'm trying to give you multitudes. Are you with me? And then he tells him, You will be a blessing. Go be a blessing. We come into this world only concerned for ourselves, what we need, what we want. We have to be taught to, to, to care for other people to some degree by our parents. And then I personally believe that part of living this gospel is that God has to teach us to learn to care for other people more than ourselves, including, including in regard to righteousness. You should care more about other people and how you treat them in regard to their righteousness. We're supposed to be light to the nations. I got to thinking about that, the, the tamim, which means pure, and the lapid, and the light, and at some point, I don't remember exactly when, when I was putting my nose together this morning, I got to thinking about it, I was like, oh my gosh, remember the passage we said about that we may know the good and perfect will of Elohim, remember that passage? We may know the good and perfect will of Elohim. That's what the green between was for. The lights and the purities it was so that Israel could know the absolute will of God in, 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 in regard to whether or not they were going to go to war. In regard to whether or not they were going to win. And our hot drop portion we read it, you are my servant, I have chosen you and not cast you away, fear not, I am with you. What I'm saying is, how do we do all this? It's just knowing and it's a confidence that God is with us. And he's not with us because we're special, he's not with us because we do all this work, he's not with us because we wear our kippah and CTO, he's with us because we trust in the blood of Messiah. Period. It's that simple. Walk in it. Walk in his countenance. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to listen to the Drosh for this week's Parsha. In the description, you'll find all the links to our websites and social media content. Please make sure you're subscribed to our podcast, as we can be found on all major podcast platforms. If you feel compelled to support this ministry, please feel free to do so by donating via the Get the Word Out link in the description. All proceeds go toward growing this platform and the Mikdash Mayot ministry. Until the next time, we pray God blesses you with Shalom in the name of Yahweh Yeshua Mashiach.